Well, I'm going to share with you today a passage in uh, Peter's second letter that I have found very helpful and encouraging and inspiring and challenging to me for, for many years at many different times. Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Peter starts out uh, with a tremendous statement of encouragement, verses 3 and 4. He says that God has provided us all of the resources we need for spiritual growth, has provided, past tense, done deal. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world. You know, a lot of us labor under a, a feeling of inadequacy. You know, I just don't have what it takes. I don't have the right personality. Uh, I fail too much. I don't have enough zeal. And just, you know, a little bit of growth maybe, but not much. Uh, or maybe you've got a friend who says, you just need more of God. Well, it's okay to say I need more of God if you mean I need more experience of the God who is there with me already. But Peter says we already have all we needed, all we need for life and godliness. Some say, well, you just need the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized in the Spirit or something like that. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, for we are all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're given to uh, the one spirit to drink. We've already got all we need, past tense. What a great encouragement. And now with that foundation of encouragement, Peter gives us something that we, can all, we should all consider as this is my New Year's resolution to chase after this. And I hope it doesn't go in one year and out the other, Okay. So here's your, that was a joke, waiting for the laughs, chuckles at least, I don't know, in one year out the other. So here's, here's what Peter encourages to do. Pursue spiritual growth as your highest priority. Uh, we're talking about spiritual growth that shows itself in character formation. Betsy's already read this passage for us. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, your goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection, mutual affection love. Now, notice that Peter says make every effort. The New American Standard translates this phrase, applying all diligence. The, the NEB translates it, you should try your hardest. So you get the idea? But frankly, some of us are hesitant at this point. Sounds like you want me to be a religious fanatic. Like, pursue after this above all else. Now, in our minds, a little bit of religion is probably a good thing. It provides us with comfort and help and stuff. But to, to be a religious fanatic, that means you get all the fun taken out of life. You become dull and rigid. Well, that's understandable if we view Christianity as a set of rules and stifling regulations placed upon us to, to squash life. But that's not what it's about. Jesus said, John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus comes not to stifle life, but to give us life. And the more experience of him, the deeper experience of that, the more life we have. 
I love the, the uh, figurative expression of this in, in Psalm 36, 8. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. Now, this isn't talking about uh, pie in the sky by and by. This is talking about, about chow in the, in the now. It's talking about the feast we can have. Did anybody have a feast yesterday? Okay, this is better. God says, I invite you to my feast, a feast in your heart. Every day can be like a, a celebration of feast, a feed on me, and a river of delights. Paul reinforces the priority of this kind of thing in 2 Timothy 2.22 when he says, uh, uh, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the Lord from a, a pure heart. To pursue means to run after, to chase after. This is something you want. This is something that you're going to make happen. Now, Peter lists these eight qualities showing their interrelationship with one another. They build on one another. We begin with faith, which is the beginning of the Christian life. We end with love, which is a pinnacle of God-like character. To our faith, Peter says, add goodness. Translate as a virtue of moral excellence. As virtue or moral excellence, some other virgins. Add goodness or moral excellence. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans 12, 9, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. We don't always do that. If you're like me, if you've read some of the news of, of church news over the, the last uh, few years, we're, we've been sickened by the moral hypocrisy of certain Christian leaders who have fallen prey to, to money and power and women. But you know, it's too easy, I find, to point the finger at them and say, bad, bad, and not point the finger here or look here and overlook the fact that we are self-centered or judgmental in our attitudes towards others or harboring resentment for offenses suffered, denigrating others through racial jokes or stereotypes, lack of compassion for those who suffer, we need to add goodness. But Peter says to your goodness, add knowledge, because just trying to, to be good is not good enough if you don't know what good is. In the book of, of Judges, you have a statement that's repeated in chapter 2 and at the very end, chapter 21. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's a time of moral chaos. And some of the things I can't talk about because children are here, but let me just give you an illustration. Hospitality was highly valued in the, in the, in the Middle East. It still is today. There's a story in, in, toward the end of the book of, of a guy traveling through the, the territory of Benjamin. He comes to a certain town. He has no place to stay. A guy takes him, him and his, his woman in for the night. And the people of the town, the men of the town, come banging the door. We want that guy so we can abuse him. He says, no, no, I've got to value hospitality. So you can have my daughter. You can have his woman. Do whatever you want with them. And the guys do. And they take them all night to a point of, of fatality. Well, the, the people of the other tribes are outraged. They say, we have to do what's right. We have to get revenge. So let's go wipe out that entire tribe. Never mind the other towns had nothing whatsoever to do with this. They killed uh, all the women, all the children, most of the men, about 600 were left. They hid out in a safe place. And then the guy said, wow, we almost wiped out the entire tribe. Israel's not going to be the same with only 11 tribes. And they have no wives. They have no women. And in, in the process, we pledged that we would not give our daughters to be their wives. So 
We're moral people. We have to honor our pledge. So, hey, we can tell them where this other clan that didn't participate, where they have this annual festival, the young woman will come out, and they can, we can tell them where to hide, and they can kidnap them. So they'll have wives. Isn't that a great moral? Barbara Mandrell has a, has a song. How can it be wrong when it feels so right? It's a song of a couple warmly embracing by a fire in a cold night and, and enjoying their snuggle. And then they lament, oh, I guess it's time for us to each go home to our spouse now. But how can it be wrong if it feels so right? How can it be wrong if it feels so right to, to uh, cheat on taxes? Bullying the weak kid at school seems so right to those bullying. They feel strong and powerful, but it's never right to bully. Stealing from Walmart because they've got way too much money might seem right to some people, but stealing's never right. Spreading malicious gossip about that person who's hurt you and who deserves to get their own seems so right, but it's not right. We, we overlook these things and rationalize, holding grudges, uh, misusing our money, malicious gossip, uh, all these things. Peter says, to your goodness, add knowledge so you know what good is. You know what right and wrong are from God's viewpoint. But knowledge itself is, is, is not an end in itself. To our knowledge, uh, we need to add self-control because the knowledge needs to manifest itself in transformation of personal character. We all have impulses. We have impulses to get revenge. We have impulses to indulge our bodily appetites. We have impulses to, to uh, pick the forbidden fruit, to say the thing we shouldn't say, to overlook the issue which we should deal with. We all have, have those impulses. In Genesis 4, we're told that Cain was very angry because God accepted his brother's sacrifice and not his. So his jealousy and his anger were building up within him. And God said this, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Genesis 4, 7. Unfortunately, Cain failed to master and he killed his brother to satisfy his jealousy. But we need to have self-control. Let me just illustrate. I never go to a donut store and buy donuts. Never. I deserve moral approval for that, right? But if somebody brings a box of donuts to church into the the workroom, well, you know, that's not the same thing, is it? Because I haven't bought them. And so I'll go into the workroom and I see and I look, oh, that's my favorite and that's my favorite and that's my favorite. I maybe lean over a little bit. Mmm, smell that glazed sugar on that donut. And then I start rationalizing, you know, and I've actually done this. I get out a knife and I cut one in two. Just a half. That's not like eating a donut, right? And then later in the day, guess what happens? I don't think anybody's going to eat that other half. And then toward the end of the day, I don't want these to go to waste. They'll be stale by tomorrow. And so sometimes I've eaten a couple of those donuts that I know I shouldn't have. I don't need the empty calories. It's not good for my health, but I, I give in. Now, donuts are trivial. But we have other things we have to master. We need self-control over the greed and the lust and the anger and and just the self-indulgence. 
just a self-centeredness. I want my way, and I don't care who gets hurt as long as I have my way. Our self-control is going to be tested. And there are times when, we, when we're going to say to ourselves, it doesn't really matter if I have the donut. It doesn't matter if I say that ugly thing I've really been wanting to say. It doesn't matter if I do this or that. I don't do this or that. Or we'll rationalize and say, you know, I've, I've been good for so long. I've tried hard. It's time just now to give in. Or I've had a hard day, a hard week, a hard year. I deserve this for myself. But Peter says, add to your self-control perseverance. Because this life we lead with Christ is not just a short-term thing. It's not just a, a, a dash, but it's a, more like a marathon. And he calls us to keep on running, keep on at it, keep on pursuing God. And then Peter says, to our perseverance, add godliness. Because what's ta- what it takes is not just a stoic, stiff upper lip. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be good. I'm the master of my own fate, the captain of my soul. I'll do it. We need, we need the kind of relationship with God whereby we find in him power and strength and continued motivation when our motivation's lagging. Now, don't think of godliness as some do as a holier-than-thou attitude where you're stuck up and you're stiff and you're judgmental of other people. Think of godliness as Christ-likeness, becoming more like him. And who is Jesus Christ? The friend of sinners, the man who is gentle and lowly and cared for others and served them. That's what godliness becomes. And to our godliness, we're to add moral perfection. Now, the Greek word here is Philadelphia. You probably recognize it as a city back east. It it means brotherly love. Uh, And it's translated that way in in some versions. So brotherly love or mutual affection means we, we have that love for one another. Brotherly love is like a family love. We're reminded that we can come and we can sing with exuberance during our worship times. We can say amen during our sermons and then go home and on the way home be grumpy and grouchy and criticize and complain and speak bad and put down a family member because just having an emotional experience in church is not the same thing as godliness. We need a godliness that shows itself in brotherly love at all times. And then to brotherly love, he adds love. The the Greek word here is agape. Many of you heard of that. It's God's kind of love. Brotherly love is more like you're drawn to the person in a a family-type relationship. Agape love is like God's love. You love the person who who is attractive to you. You love the person who's repulsive to you. You love the person who is nice. You love the person who is naughty. Uh, We're called to love all people just as God loves all people. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 43 uh, and 45, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. God loves all people and he calls us to love all people. Now, hold on to your seats right now because I'm going to say something that's going to offend some, pe- some of you, maybe all of you. Okay, you ready? Do you love Donald Trump? You also should love Joe Biden. Do you love Joe Biden? You should also love Donald Trump. Now, you can disagree with the man, his policies, his behavior, whatever, but, but we're still called to love all people. 
to, to treat them with respect as someone made in the image of God. I have school teachers, elementary school teachers, even in the Christian schools, who tell me horrible, hateful things some of their students say about the other political uh, person, the one who is the opponent. And where they get it? From their Christian parents listening at home. Peter calls us to, to love all people. Our, to our brotherly affection, loving those like us, loving those that have the same opinions and views, loving those that we hang out with, to loving everyone. And he says, make every effort to keep adding and adding and adding all these things into your life. Now, sometimes we hear these things and, you know, we just like, ah, oh, it seems like too much. It seems like a lot to bear with, a lot to do. So Peter gives us some incentives in verses 10 and 11. And he tells us four things that will happen to us if we continue. He says that, um, he says that pursuing a continual growth in spiritual character will guarantee productive lives. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election through, by this kind of growth. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So you will confirm your calling and election. Some, some uh, versions translate, you will, render, uh, you will not be ineffective or unproductive. Uh, you will have spiritual prote- confidence. Uh, you will have protection from falling and provide an, an, a rich, an enriched entrance into heaven at the end of our lives. You, are, you will never, if you, if you do these things, you will never stumble and, if you, uh, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's my New Year's resolution for me. And you can consider it for yourself if you want. My New Year's resolution is I want to pursue the things Peter talks about. To my faith, which is there, I want to add goodness. And to goodness, knowledge, so I can know better what really is right and wrong. Uh, In the big things, in the very small things. To my knowledge, I want to add self-control, that I put these things into practice. They're not just things in my head. To my self-control, perseverance, I keep at it and don't give up. To my, to my perseverance, godliness or Christ-likeness. And then to Christ-likeness with brotherly love and brotherly love with agape love. And I want to pursue these in such a way that my wife, my kids, grandkids, my my neighbors, my work colleagues, uh, strangers in the store that, that, that serve me say not just, hey, he's a pretty nice guy, but here's a person who is marked by love and gentleness, willing to listen, uh, willing to serve others, uh, exercises self-control, doesn't say that, that ugly thing that, that comes to mind in that kind of situation. That's what I want to be. I want to I wanna, Pursue these things and make these things increasingly mine. And if you're inspired by Peter, I encourage you to take this and make this your New Year's resolution, New Year's resolution as well. And how do you pursue them? Well, the first thing is just to make it a priority. And then use the means God has given us. Church, Bible, prayer, uh, fellowship with others, accountability partner or, or group. Sometimes it's good just to have somebody say, hold me accountable for this because I want to, you know, love my kids and not explode at them. Uh, find a different way when they're naughty. Whatever you need. Get in a community group. Come to celebrate recovery. Use our lay counseling program. 
And a final encouragement, remember, as we talk about these, that God has already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us all that we need for, for a life of abundant living as we walk with him and, and, and uh, live with him day by day. Proverbs 15, 15 says, the cheerful heart has a continual feast. And that can be ours as we live out these things, as we live out scripture. Philippians 4, 4 commands us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And as we do this, that even in the midst of trial, heartbreak, difficulty, and pain, disappointments, we can still have a, a continual feast living with and for God. Now, there's a prayer that I ran across this past year that I've, I've, I don't remember say it every day, but John Stott was a great Christian leader. Uh, he's, he's written many books that have been very helpful to me. I got to meet him one time. Uh, when we lived in Singapore. And here's the morning prayer that he would say every morning. And it's in your notes. You can take it home and maybe use this as a daily prayer. Glory to God, the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that I might live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This could be a small tool to help us in that daily pursuit to be all that God wants us to be. He wants for you and me fullness of life, and we get that as we pursue him with all of our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage that Peter gave us. We thank you for the encouragement that you've given us all we need for this. We thank you for the motivations that our lives will be enriched. And we thank you for the challenge to keep adding uh, moral qualities, character transformation into our lives. Lord, we want to do this. We want you to meet us here. We want you to help us along the way. We want to be the people that you want us to be. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.